0: One of the sad realities of the Christian life is occasionally you come across individuals who at one time claimed to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they are now involved in a false religious system. The Apostle Paul was very much aware of that possibility, very much aware of that danger, because in Two of his letters, he specifically warned his readers about abandoning the truth of Christ to follow false teachers. We've already looked at this, but it's worth noting again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 and 4, Paul said, For I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And then he said, For if one comes, and this is exactly what had happened. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. And Paul is referring to the false teachers who had come to the Corinthian church and had beguiled them and deceived them, and they were really tempted to follow These men. Then in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul said, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for another gospel. They were actually deserting Jesus Christ to follow a works legalistic kind of religious Christianity. Now, the New Testament writer Jude shared the Apostle Paul's concern for the spiritual welfare of his readers. And so, as you know, he wrote them a little letter, which we've been studying for quite a while now. You can turn to Jude. But, but Jude wrote this letter as a warning to these Christians, these beloved people of his, about apostates. Apostates who had infiltrated their church and threatened to win them over to heresy. Now, as we've already discovered in our studies from Jude, most of the letter, most of the the first 16 verses of the letter, are devoted to speaking about the false teachers. Jude describes their wicked behavior. He describes how they distort the truth. He also speaks of the certainty of coming judgment upon them. But in verse 17, the tone of the letter changes, and Jude tells the church, how to resist false teachers, how to personally resist false teachers. In other words, he tells them how to protect themselves from being deceived by these men who want them to abandon the gospel to join their false system. And he gives them in verses 17 through 21, he gives them two specific responsibilities Two responsibilities that will help them to resist false teachers. First responsibility is found in verses 17 and 18. But you, beloved ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, remember the words of the apostles. Remember there was something they taught you that directly relates to your situation. What was that? Verse 18, that they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust.' He says, remember that the apostles predicted this. You shouldn't be shaken by this. They predicted this. Don't think as if God has lost control. This was all prophesied. So it ought not to shake you. Secondly, he tells them that it also verifies not only shouldn't it shake you because the apostle said this, but it also verifies the truthfulness of Scripture because what was predicted has come to pass. The irony of all this, as we said the other week, is that these mockers who mocked the truth of Scripture actually validated the truth of Scripture by their very mocking. So, Jude says, remember the words of the apostles. If you do that, you won't be shaken. You'll understand that this is all part of God's plan. God is the governor of all Events And he's orchestrated this secondly he tells them that the way you resist false teachers is by maintaining a healthy spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ He tells us this in verses 20 and 21, but you beloved building yourselves up On your most holy faith praying in the Holy Spirit Keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life now He says you must maintain a healthy relationship with Christ. Why? Because those who are growing in Christ, those who are growing in their faith, are not vulnerable to false teaching like those who are weak in their faith. So he tells them to keep growing. And Jude actually tells them, and us by way of application, how to maintain a healthy relationship with Christ so that we'll be strong in our faith, And we will not be as vulnerable and susceptible to false teachers who prey upon us. So, as I've told you for, I believe it's the last two weeks, there's actually in these two verses only one command. The command is keep yourselves in the love of God. Everything else is what we call a participle, which helps to describe or modify the command. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's the thought. That's the main thought. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's the command. And as we've said before, Jude can't possibly be saying do something to have God keep loving you. That, that would be heresy. God loves us unconditionally. We don't have to do anything to keep God loving us or keep ourselves in the sphere of God's love in the sense that he'll stop loving us. The thought here is that we are to keep ourselves conscious of. Of God's love we are to be mindful of God's love we are to always stay alert to the great truth that God has loved us in Christ Jesus he's really talking about I believe the great redemptive love that God showed us in Christ not that God loves us just in a general way but that God has demonstrated his love in Christ's death on the cross now he tells us then how to keep ourselves conscious of God's love. How do we actually do this on a, on a very, very practical basis? Jude lays this out for us. And here's where the participles come in. Number one, he says, building by building yourselves up on your most holy faith. That's how you keep conscious of God's love. And what he means by this is that we are to grow in our understanding of the word of God. We are to increase in our knowledge of Scripture. We are to develop maturity by building ourselves up in an understanding of the Word of God, specifically the solid doctrine about redemption in Christ, the theology of the Gospel. If you do that, you will always be mindful of God's great love for you in Christ. Secondly, we keep ourselves conscious of God's love by praying in the Holy Spirit, which means to pray according to the will of the Holy Spirit, which means to pray according to The Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. And therefore, if we pray based on God's word, we will be praying in the Holy Spirit. This is praying in the will of God. And as I told you last week, it means that as you go through Scripture and you see the truths of Scripture and the principles, you begin to ask God to build those truths into your life and you begin to ask him to apply that. And if you're if you're reading about God's sovereignty or his holiness, you just begin to thank him for that and ask him to to use that great truth in all of your uh, your life and the areas of your life. Number three, we keep ourselves mindful of God's love by waiting anxiously or eagerly as the thought for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. It simply means we are to eagerly wait for Christ to to take us home for Christ to return so that he will take us Take us home so that we can experience the fullness of his mercy in Christ by being in his presence forever. We have received a pledge of our future salvation. We have received a pledge, the Holy Spirit. But there's coming a time when God will display his the fullness of his mercy as we experience the fullness of eternal life in his presence. All of this keeps us mindful of God's great love in Christ. When we put these three spiritual disciplines together, we we will maintain an alertness for God's love by growing in our understanding of Scripture, by praying that's based on Scripture, and by keeping our focus on Christ's return for us. And that's the way, folks, that we're going to protect ourselves from false teachers and their errors. Because all of these spiritual disciplines help us to be mindful that God has loved us and has demonstrated that great love for us in Jesus Christ. However, the sad truth is that there are many people in Bible-believing churches who do not do this. And as a result of not living by these spiritual disciplines, being lazy in the Christian life, they become easy targets for satanic false teachers. And they are victimized at times by these false teachers. That is to say, there are some people who may have some type of affiliation with Christians. They may even be genuine Christians themselves. But somehow they find themselves attracted to a false religious system. I can think of a a sad situation a number of years ago. Some people... Who went to Lakeside, came out of Roman Catholicism, appeared to be glad to be here, only to leave Lakeside at a certain point and return to Roman Catholicism. That's a very, very sad situation. So what is our responsibility? And by the way, that that happens more often than we can imagine Not necessarily in our church, but in evangelical churches where somebody leaves a Bible teaching church to join a cult, a false religious system, something that is heretical. So what is our responsibility towards people like that who are attracted to false religious systems? Jude tells us that's the subject of verses 22 and 23. He tells us what we're supposed to do for people like that. In other words, having told us how to protect ourselves, how to resist false teachers ourselves. Now he tells us how to reach out to those who have not resisted like they should. Those who have fallen prey to the errors of false teaching. And So I want to read to you verses 22 and 23. Jude says, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garments polluted by the flesh. Now, in these verses, Jude mentions three types of people. Three types of people that we are to minister to. And the ministry that he's talking about here is to try to reach out and rescue them from a false religious system. So, tonight, We want to look at these three individuals, these three types of people, and we want to discover how God's Word says we are to minister to them as we try to rescue them from the clutches of error. This is very helpful. This is not for professional theologians. This is for all of us. So don't think, well, I'm not an expert on the cult. This really means I can't do this. This is a letter that Jude wrote to the entire church, so it's for all of us. The first kind of person that we are to minister to in terms of trying to reach them and rescue them from error is the person who has doubts about the truth. Doubts about the truth. Verse 22 says this, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Now, the first kind of individual that Jude tells us to reach out to in order to try to protect them from the apostates is the person who Jude defines as doubting. He's a doubter. This is the person who has lingering doubts about what? About Christianity. He has lingering doubts about the gospel, Christianity, Bible basics, we would call it. This person may be even converted to Christ. Jude doesn't define that one way or another. But this person may be converted to Christ, but they find themselves wavering in the faith. They're swayed by false teachers and their message. They're like the people... Paul wrote about to the Ephesians and told them not to be like children who are, who are gullible, tossed about by every wind of doctrine. That's the way these people are. They have not protected themselves. If they are believers, they have not resisted like they should, these false teachers. And so they're swayed by the false teachers. This could be a new believer who does the foolish thing, for example, in our day of letting some Jehovah's Witnesses into his home. And he says, let's have a Bible study together, or they would suggest it. And he naively and wrongly says, yeah, let's do that. And then they sit down with him and they tell them about their heresies. And all of a sudden he has doubts about biblical Christianity. They seem so sincere. They seem so kind, so nice. How could they be wrong? And he's very confused. Or this may be a person who is attracted to a cult because he finds or she finds acceptance there. They're interested in joining that cult because the people have warmly opened their hearts to, to this individual. And frankly, he or she doesn't find that kind of acceptance in their evangelical church. Everybody's busy or this person may be a little socially awkward and nobody really wants to have them over. And, but in this cult, they just love this person. So he finds himself attracted to the cult. Remember, false teachers are deceivers. Satan is behind them, and he's a deceiver. And in their deception, they can look very appealing even to true Christians. They may come across as very loving, as I've said, uh, kind, sensitive people, gentle people. They may say, we have the answers to life's puzzling questions. They may offer some structure for a person who has very little structure. And they offer guidelines, they offer discipline, the discipline that's lacking in this Christian's life. So for whatever reasons, and there could be a host of them, there are some people who know the truth about the gospel, but they have not not just normal doubts, but lingering doubts. And they're wondering if some false religious system isn't what they, they really need. They know a little bit about Christ, but maybe this is, this is really the, uh, the gold pot at the end of the rainbow. Maybe this is really it. I'm just lacking something. I'm on the road. Maybe this is what I've been looking for. And so they find themselves being very attracted to and drawn towards that system, even while they may still be in an evangelical church. But they're doubting. They have issues. So what is our responsibility in ministering to this type of person who is doubting Christianity? Although he may be a believer, he may not be a believer, but he's in the midst, it would appear, of a Bible-believing church, at least at this point. Jude tells us, notice verse 22, what to do. He says, have mercy. Show them mercy. Now, what does he mean by this? He means that the way you minister to someone in this kind of spiritual condition is by being very patient by being very sensitive, sensitive and patient in helping them to see that Christianity is true. In other words, you don't give people like this a stern lecture and and just say, snap out of it. You're not harsh with a person like this. You don't rebuke sternly a person like that. That's not the way to help them. They need someone who is willing to sit down with them on a regular basis and very patiently help them to understand why Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That is precisely what Jude is talking about. Be kind to them, be sensitive, be merciful, and show them compassion. I love the way Michael Green explains in his commentary on Jude what to do with a person like this. He writes, When men are beginning to waver, That's the time for a well-taught Christian to come alongside of them and help. A man who is flirting with false teaching is not to be sent to Coventry. I have no idea what Coventry is, but probably in his denomination that's that's some uh, place that's not good to go. I don't know. But anyway, he says, a man who's flirting with false teaching is not to be sent to Coventry by his Christian friends. They must have him in for coffee and chatted over with him in love. And they must know the faith so well that they can convince him while he is still hesitating. A loving approach, a sense of the right occasion, and a carefully thought out Christian position. These are the qualities required by this first clause. That's a good word. Even if I didn't know what Coventry is, that's a good word. It means you just need, he needs someone who, before he would abandon the truth altogether, who can help him understand the truth and help to answer his doubts. If you know someone like this, be very careful how you come across. Don't turn this person off to the gospel because of your impatience in answering his or her questions about Christ and the Bible. I thought we went over this before. You've been in the church how many years and you don't know this? That's not the approach you take. Be patient, be kind. Be loving, And I think it behooves all of us to understand that a good, loving church environment is very important in ministering to someone like this. If they sense that people in the church don't care about them, they don't have the time of day for them, everybody's busy, nobody is willing to sit down and go over the basics because they're into the Greek and the Hebrew and the deep theology, and they're still trying to figure out if Jesus is God, if they sense that, that, that we're so beyond them that we can't even help them with basic issues, that's a real turnoff. That's a real turnoff. So we need to be very careful. You better believe that there, that some cult, some false religion, will be very, very patient with this individual. So be careful how you and I come across to weak, doubting people. Now you may think, that other people should minister to doubters but not you because you may think well you don't know your your bible well enough to help a doubter but that is not a valid excuse and I'll tell you why because there is a little statement in 1 Peter chapter 3 that tells us that it's our responsibility it's not the pastoral staff's responsibility alone all of us because Peter says but sanctify 1 Peter 3:15 but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence. Peter is probably speaking in an evangelistic sense, but certainly the principle is true that even if a weak believer asks you, why do you believe this? Why are you so convinced that Jesus is God? Why are you so convinced that we don't have to be baptized to be saved? You need to be able to give them a defense for the hope of the reason that lies within you. That's what Peter is saying. That is our responsibility. So if you don't know how to answer, then read up on this. Get some good books on basic Christian doctrine. If you're not sure which, just ask me or or ask any of our pastoral staff. We'll be happy to tell you. So the first kind of person that we're to minister to in terms of rescuing them, at least trying to rescue them from false teachers, is the person who has doubts about the faith. Not... We're not talking about, from time to time, doubts creep into all of our minds. We're talking about serious doubts now. Doubts that linger. Doubts that threaten them. Doubts that cause them to be attracted to some other religious system. The second kind of person that Jude mentions that we're to minister to is not only the person who has doubts about the faith, but also the person who needs to be rescued from false teaching. They've already gone over there. Notice the beginning of verse 23. He says, save others, snatching them Out of the fire. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. If the first person that Jude told us to minister to is a person who doubts, but he's still in an evangelical church, he's hesitating, he's not sure, he has questions, this person has gone beyond that. This person mentioned here has already joined a false religious system. They're not doubting. They're beyond doubts. They're not wavering. They're off to the other side. We know that because Jude describes this person as someone who needs to be snatched out of the fire, indicating that they are unsaved. This person, I think, for sure would not be a Christian. And they're in danger of suffering the eternal fires of hell. That's what he's talking about. Snatch them out of the fire. Because if they're not rescued and they continue like this, when they die, they are going to go to hell. So I take it he's talking about an unsaved person. If they're not rescued from these doctrines of demons that they've embraced, they will die in their sins. So snatch them, as it were, out of the fire. So this is the person who has already left a Bible-believing evangelical fellowship, now part of some heretical, apostate religious group. He is wobbling, in other words, on the edge of hell. Wobbling. One Bible teacher described those in this category as those who have committed themselves to some of Satan's lies. They are already engulfed in an evil system. So I hope you can see the difference. They're not doubting. They've gone beyond doubts. Now, Jude tells us how to minister to this type of person who's really at the edge of falling into hell. He tells us to save them by snatching them out of the fire. We understand that only the Lord saves people. Judas isn't saying that, that we can save anybody's souls, but we are the instruments by which God saves others as we evangelize them. He tells us to save them by snatching them out of the fire. Now, what does that mean? It means that we are to be aggressive in trying to evangelize them. Aggressiveness. So that they will be rescued from continuing in such a system that will lead them to hell. So I'm not evangelism, but evangelism that is aggressive. People like this need to be confronted bluntly. Not tactfully. People like this need to be hammered. You snatch them out of the fire. Don't be tactful with a person like this. You need to be direct with them in telling them their desperate need for Christ. I love what MacArthur says about this person. He says, don't be too concerned about offending that person. For think how offensive that particular system is to God. He's been offended long enough. Let's offend Satan for a while. Now, the way to think about this, I find this is helpful, and this really is the analogy that Jude is using. When you think about, he says, snatch them from the fire. Think about how you would try to rescue somebody from a physical, literal fire. You wouldn't say, come out, come on. You went, Here's my hand. Grab hold of it. You would do everything you could to aggressively grab hold of that person and drag them out. That's the analogy here. Don't soft pedal the gospel. Don't be tactful. Don't care about being politically correct and diplomatic. Be blunt. Tell them they are lost. They are going to go to hell if they don't trust Christ. You just don't, in other words, you don't tiptoe around the truth of the gospel. You need to be really, really careful and merciful and, and sensitive to the first person. This person The way you express mercy to this person is by being aggressive. You unload the gospel on them. And don't be afraid about offending them with the gospel. They need to hear it. They need to know in no uncertain words they're lost. They're going to die in their sins. Where they're heading is to hell. Jude is talking about that. Jude is talking about snatch them as you would aggressively going after somebody who's burning in a physical fire. So... Jude has spoken of two kinds of people that we need to minister to by rescuing them, at least trying to, from false teachers. The person who has doubts, he's doubting the truth of the gospel, the person who needs to be rescued from false teaching. He's gone over to the other side. But there is a third kind of person that Jude mentions who we need to minister to because of false teaching, and it's this. This is the person who has committed himself to false teaching. He's not just there. He's really there. He may even be a teacher. This is a person who has embraced it all. He is committed to this false religious system. In other words, he hasn't just gone over to the other side recently. He's there and he's fully entrenched. Notice the rest of verse 23. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh now, of all the types of individuals that Jude has mentioned, this is the most dangerous of them all. We know this because Jude warns us to have mercy, he says, but have it with fear, have it with fear. We are to be careful, being fearful of what may happen to us. The reason we are to have fear in trying to rescue them from false teaching is because they have so abandoned themselves to heresy that if we aren't careful in trying to reach them with the gospel, we might be sucked in and negatively influenced by them. In other words, in reaching out to them, we run the risk of being defiled by their heresies. You see, these people are not new converts to this false system. They're, As I said, they're fully entrenched in it. They've embraced it. They've embraced these lies completely. They haven't recently come over to the other side. They've been there for a while. However, Jude probably, I might add this, probably doesn't have the original apostates in mind who had infiltrated the church that he's addressing. And the reason I say that is because it does appear that apostates, those are people who, who once knew and, and said they believed in Christ and they said they were orthodox, but then they abandoned the gospel and they even mocked it. Those people, it would appear from Scripture, can never be saved. They have so hardened their hearts. I don't think he's talking about those people here. And the reason I say they can never be saved is look at verse 13 of Jude's letter. The last statement in describing them, he says, The black darkness has been reserved forever. For whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. That's hell. That's eternal lostness. Now, I don't think he's talking about those people here because he's telling Jude's readers, reach out to them, evangelize them, try to, to get them out. Some have mercy. So I don't, I don't think these are the original apostates, but these are people who are really entrenched in the false religious system. So we have to be very cautious. We have to be very careful in how we minister to them because in reaching out to them, we do expose ourselves To great danger. For example, in trying to rescue someone, let's say, from a cult, you might find yourself becoming confused about what you believe. As you engage this person in conversation, they may be so persuasive that you may find yourself confused. Remember, the person you're trying to evangelize is not a novice. He's been doing this for a while. He's an expert in falsehood. And remember, these people are inspired by Satan and Satan knows all about your weaknesses. He knows all the points of weakness you may have. And he may trigger those points in a conversation. Secondly, another danger is that in trying to evangelize someone in a cult who, who let's say has become wealthy because people in cults, at least leaders in cults and teachers, we know they become wealthy because they exploit others. I mean, Judas said that. Peter has said that. They're greedy people. They're greedy and they exploit people. And you may find yourself, as you are trying to evangelize a very wealthy religious leader, you may find that you're attracted to their lifestyle. They may be very wealthy and you may like the way they live. And before you realize it, you're beginning to be drawn to some of their errors because you like what these errors bring, money and a comfortable home and a really nice car. You also may find yourself attracted to their sensual lifestyle. Both Jude and Peter have emphasized in their letters that false teachers tend to be sexually deviant and promiscuous In their behavior, in ministering to someone like this, you can easily find yourself in a sexually tempting situation. And then you might fall. Please don't think that you're above all of this. This could never happen to you because you're so strong. You're so grounded in the faith that this will never happen. How could you possibly believe a false religious system? Why, you've been a Christian for 25, 30, 35, 40 years well, I remind you of Paul's words to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians ten, twelve: Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. When you think that you can't fall, that's when you probably will fall. Any of us can fall, both morally and theologically. Now, just because ministering to this kind of a person poses dangers, and it certainly does, doesn't mean that we are to refrain from trying to evangelize them. I mean, that's the whole point of what Jude is saying. Jude commands us to show mercy on people like this by witnessing to them. But he also tells us the way to do this. And this is important. The way to do this so that we don't fall prey to their heresies. Notice what he says at the end of verse 23. By hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now, what does that mean? This is just a way, a very expressive, picturesque way of saying that we are to hate the sins committed by people like this, which are so horrendous, so horrible, that they contaminate others. Like diseased flesh might be contaminated by clothing that comes in contact with it. Perhaps he's thinking of leprosy, which would, I think, contaminate clothing because it all had to be burned. In other words, in ministering to people like this, love them but despise their sins. Have a holy hatred for their sins, knowing that their sins are so wicked that they have defiled others. So be careful. Be careful. Folks, the way to evangelize strong heretics is to make sure that you understand the extreme wicked behavior of false teachers. How do you do this? I think the best way you do this is by reviewing what we've studied in Jude and going back and seeing what Second Peter says. When you understand how really wicked they are and listen and hear what God has to say by exposing people like this, you'll hate their sins. You ought to hate their sins. Both Second Peter and Jude spell out in detail the nature of the sins of false teachers. So learn about these men. Come away with a holy hatred for what they stand for And what they do and how they behave. Now, we need to take Jude's commands very seriously because there are some people you may know, and if you don't know them now, you may come across them, who find themselves attracted to false teaching. They could even be in our church. You need to effectively minister to people like this evangelism is God's will for all of us. We are to evangelize the lost. These are lost folks. They're in a special category of of lostness, but they are lost and we need to evangelize these who are the victims of apostasy. So let me quickly review and simplify it. Number one, be especially kind to the person who has doubts but hasn't acted on those doubts. Be kind, be really sensitive, be really thoughtful, do everything you can in a patient manner. Secondly, be aggressive with the person who has left an evangelical church for a false religious system. Be bold, be blunt in clearly expressing to them the great danger that they put themselves in. They are at the edge of hell. To the third person, be careful to the point of being fearful of falling into sin as you minister to a person who has fully committed himself to a false Religious system be aware of their evil behavior and despise it despise it Folks this is what we need to do don't think that this is another world. This is jude's day There are people like this. There are people like this. I know people like this you Will know people like this and perhaps you do now, you know what what jude says now we have no excuse We need to evangelize like this and I want to say this if you're If you're a person, been in our church for a while, maybe you're new to Lakeside, if you're having doubts about the gospel, let us help you. Let us help you. Don't be embarrassed by that. Make an appointment with any of our staff and let us help you through some of these doubts. Don't let those things go unanswered because Satan can pry, and pray upon you. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we are so thankful that your word is so instructive and so helpful. You have told us how to resist false teachers in our own lives and I pray that we'll take those things to heart. I pray that you'll help us to always be mindful of your love for us in Christ, even during the difficult times of life when we we tend to have Doubts about your love, but I I pray that you'll help us to see your love in your word and to be praying the great truths back to you of scripture. These the truths that tell us that you you love us, especially those truths about redemption in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to have an eagerness in waiting for the rapture that that in the imminency of this great doctrine, we know that you could come at any time. Help us, Lord to be excited about that, to not be so um, attracted to this world that we're not thinking about the world to come. And only because of your mercy to us and your love in Christ. Lord, but having protected ourselves, I pray that you help us to be very, very sensitive and alert to those either in our midst at Lakeside or those who we know who are attracted to apostate, false religious systems. I pray that you help us to take heed to these uh, truths, these commands, and uh, to be very careful, to be very sensitive, to be bold where we need to be, but to obey. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.